that. But if you have your Bibles this morning, turn with me to Exodus chapter 19, verse 5. Exodus chapter 19, verse 5. And let's pray this morning. Father, we are here today because you have drawn us out. God, you have called us, each one of us, to be your own. God, you have invited us into your holy presence. God, you have paid the price to make a way that, Lord, when we were separated from you, and we were enemies of the gospel, enemies of truth, and we were looking to our own glory and our own ways, God, you sent your Son to die for us, to reconcile us, to make us in right relationship uh, with you, God, because you long to be with us. And so, Father, you have set your church on this earth to be a light in the darkness, a city on the hill, a people for your own possession of the indwelling of the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, to sanctify this world, to uh, call people out of darkness and and deliver them from their chains uh, through the presence of God. And so we, the church, God, are here today. God, may we prepare our hearts as we hear your word. May they sanctify us in truth, God. And may we walk from this place differently and be willing, oh God. May we be willing to be changed by the very word of God. Uh, Lord, may we not think lightly of looking into your word. uh, But Lord, let it be a lamp into our feet, a light into our path that we may not walk away from it. In Jesus' name, somebody said, Amen. amen. How many people are ready for the word this morning? I am so excited about this series we're about to be on. Be the church. What does it really mean to be the people of God? There is one thing I love most in this world, and that's the church. I, I just have a burden for the church. God had called me and put something in me that I love the church of God. And I know a lot of people talk bad about it, and we challenge it, and we, we want it to be better. But man, I love the church. I love the church. That's God's people. That's where his presence is on this earth. And I love the church. And so I'm, I am pumped up over the next several weeks to talk to you about you. Hey, about that? We're going to talk about one another. How about that? Hey, and this isn't gossip hour. We're going to actually talk about one another in a holy way. But what is church to you? I'll give you some examples. Church, a place where perfect people meet in their Sunday best with smiling faces and no problems. Church. Hmm. I've been to one of those before. Church where people put up their best front, never confess their sin until their lives fall apart around them and it's too late. Mm. Church. Church, a place where the broken and the poor in spirit receive the grace, the love, and the truth of Jesus Christ and they are transformed and empowered to live victoriously. The church. I, want, I like the third one best. How about you? I like the third one. I've been a, lot of, I've been a part of a lot of the other ones, but I love the third one. 66 to 70 percent of Americans identify as Christians, says the Barna and Pew Research Center. But only 37 percent of Americans that are calling themselves Christian actually attend church on a weekly or regular basis. 33 percent maybe only attend once a month. And 29 percent of so-called professing Christians never attend or hardly rarely ever attend, maybe Christmas or Easter. And only 16 percent of those 70 percent of people who identify as Christians in America, only 16% are actually what you would call born-again, born spirit-filled, devout, on fire, sold out, captive to Jesus Christ. 16% of the 70% will say they're Christians. That's just statistics. It's no wonder then that so many people in America are not spiritually or emotionally healthy as individuals 
as couples or families. It's no wonder that 70% of Christian men still struggle with pornography. 50% of so-called American Christians support same-sex marriage today. 50% of American Christians will enter into a divorce. And, and, and I look at this status of the church today and wonder, is this what Jesus Christ envisioned for His church today in America? Is this what He desired? Are we, are we missing something? Perhaps are we missing what God has envisioned for his church and who are the people of God? Who is the church? Who is the church? The word church. And if you look in the dictionary in the Bible dictionary, actually, it comes from this Greek word, meaning uh, it says ecclesia. It simply means the assembly or the gathering. But if you look at the root word of the Greek, it actually means to be called out from and literally gathered together. It's to a, a subgroup of people who've been called out uh, to gather together for a purpose. If you look in ancient um, uh, Greece, it was kind of like the men of the city. They would be called the assembly or the ecclesia. It was a political gathering where the men of the assembly would be called out from the general assembly of the people and they'd be allowed to vote on different things. So it was men... Uh, certain men who would represent their town called out. If you go to the Jews, the assembly or the ecclesia meant those men who were the circumcised males of their family, the leaders of their tribes, they would be called out to gather before the Lord and, and make decisions and things like that. So it was always an elect group of people called out from among them. And if you look at the church today, the same root word in the New Testament meaning church is the assembly of God. Now, we're not saying we're the assemblies of God. That's a denomination. But the church is... The assembly of God. It's the people of God who have been called out, gathered together for a purpose. Amen? You have been called out. God had a special uh, day in mind when He would speak your name and He would draw you to Himself. And on that day, you became the church. Man, somebody say amen. That's a good day when God, God called you by name out from among them and gathered you together with His people and His presence. And if you are part of that, then that is the church. Church never meant a denomination. It never meant a building. In Scripture, church never means a building. It never means a denomination or a movement. It always means the people of God, either in a place of worship, the people within the place of worship, the people of God in a city, or the people of God in a nation or, or a group. Okay, it's always the people. The church is people. Look it around to somebody and say, I am the church. I am the church. I am the church. You are the church. We are the church. And I want to kind of take you on this little trip this morning. Before, I'm, if you will, will uh, stay right there in Exodus chapter 19, verse 5. And we're going to go to Galatians uh, this morning. I'm going to take you on a little journey. Uh, and I'm going to give you seven things real quick, briefly this morning. I could spend weeks on each seven point. I'm going to do my best to get you out of here uh, in a reasonable time tonight. Okay? I'm making sure you're awake this morning. But the church, Israel was the first church. Israel, the people of God, it means the congregation of Israel, the assembly of Israel. And it began with a guy named Abraham. And Abraham was the father of the Jewish nation. And Abraham, by faith, believed the word of God. God comes to Abraham and calls Abraham out from where he was and takes him to a place where he will prosper. Okay? And God comes and says, Abraham, I'm going to make you the father of many nations and I'm going to bless you and I'm going to bless the seed through you and I'm going to give you a promise. And that promise is this, that through your seed, I'm going to make many nations and people will come to worship me. 
And so Abraham believed by faith the word of God. He heard the word of God. He believed it. And then what happened? He went. He did something about it. He began to walk as the Spirit of God led him to a place he'd never been before. He didn't know where he was going. He didn't know what he was going to do. But every day as his family began to go forward and forward, listening to the presence of God, draw them deeper and deeper into His promises. Now that's a whole lot of preaching right there that we can talk about today. But that's just the beginning. That he believed, he obeyed in the pro- he, uh, sorry, he believed, he obeyed the call and believed in the promise. And then we come to Moses. Man, Moses comes along because Israel becomes this great nation. They get captive to uh, Egypt. And they're living in the slavery. They're into sin. Man, they're just enslaved. And so God raises up a deliverer. Somebody who's going to represent Christ. His name is Moses. He's a humble man. He comes as a priest and a prophet. He goes up to uh, Pharaoh. And what does he say? Come on, Sunday school people. Let my people go. Okay, right? And he goes on. And he, he calls them out. And God shows up in signs and wonder and power like the world had never seen until that moment. God had never been as visible as he was in that day. Let me tell you something. When God shows up in your life, he's visible. He's visible. He called them out of the slavery and sin and He transformed them. His power rescued them. And in that moment, He he saved them by putting them underneath the blood. And Israel was saved by applying the blood to their life and the doorposts of their homes and they received salvation from God's wrath under the blood. And then God takes them, He takes them through this river called the Red Sea. And He takes them through this sea and He baptizes them through the water. Right? You see this, how the Christian life works? And he pulls them out from under the water and he takes them up to a mountain of his glorious presence and he reveals himself to them. And he tells them his word he, and he speaks something over them, which we'll read in a moment. And then he begins to lead them by his spirit. Every day they would see a pillar, like a column of cloud or a column of fire rests upon the uh, place of meeting. And if it would move, then they would move. And so they had been saved by the blood, baptized by the water, and were being led by the Spirit of God every day. God painted us a picture of salvation way back when. It's a template. It's, he showed us what Christ would do. And look in Exodus chapter 19, verse 5. He says, Now then, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my own possession among the peoples. For all of the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. What was he doing? God desired and still does today a personal relationship with his people. He desired a personal relationship. And so he he pulls his people out. He delivers them. He leads them to his presence. And and yet the sad part is that Israel was only interested in this law and in this promised land. But God was interested in them. And He takes them and He reveals His presence to them. On that mountain, God's Spirit came down and smoke and clouds and lightning and fire. And they got to experience the awesome presence of God. And God's hope was, man, I hope this changes them. I hope they they know who I am. And He speaks identity over them. He says, man, you're going to be a special treasure, a peculiar people, a light to the world. I'm going to bring all people into this place. And you're going to teach them about Me. 
And along the way, I'm going to give you a new spirit. I'm going to take the stony hearts out of you in Ezekiel 36. I'm going to put a new spirit in you. And man, I'm going to see all people from races and cultures are going to be saved through the redemptive mission I have purposed in you. You're going to be a kingdom of priests. That means people who are interceding for a lost and dying world and leading people to the presence of God. All of that to say, that's what God's plan was. A people who would be bought under the blood, baptized in the water, and led by the Spirit to be a kingdom of people, a, a, a gathering of people who had the presence of God in them, who were transformed and leading people to His glorious presence. That's the church right there. Before we even get into the New Testament, God's already told us, what's the church? It's a gathering of people He called to Himself to experience His presence. And then go back out. Bring them back in. Amen? Now, look in Galatians. Look in uh, Galatians uh, with me this morning. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Okay, so, all right, Pastor Heath, I get that. That's the Old Testament. What in the world, though, is the church today? Man, it's 2016 America. How in the world? We got Sunday morning. We got Sunday school. We got Sunday night. We got Wednesday nights. I grew up in church. We got pews. We got a worship team. We sing fast songs, sing slow songs. We got an offering. There's a slideshow. There's a sermon. There's an altar call. What is church? How many people were raised in church? Just to be honest. Cool. We'll pray for you more, right? <laughs> Just to be honest. I was raised in church. I didn't really understand it till later on what in the world I was supposed to be. But in Galatians, the Apostle Paul kind of handles this issue. And I just want to share some things today. I'm going to really tell you the whole book in one little setting. But it means, what does it mean to be the church? What does it mean to be a part of the people of God today? How do you please God? How do you live the Christian life? And what makes us really be the church? Seven things, real quick that are going to make you be the church, that if you identify with these, you are the church. Number one is your faith in Christ. Before you even begin today, just like Israel, they had to believe the Word of God, just like Abraham had to believe the Word of God and they had to do something in his life, just like Moses had to believe the Word of God to lead the people of Israel out, just like Israel had to believe the Word of God. You and I today, when we hear the words of Jesus Christ, the Bible says this, and it's on the screen, if we believe and confess with all of our heart that Jesus is Lord, that is the Christ Messiah, the Son of the living God. And if I believe that, and I confess it with all of my heart, that He was sent by God, that He was sent so I may know the Father, that He was crucified, buried, raised from the dead, and that I might live with Him. Man, that is the gospel message. I believe it. I confess it over my life. I confess it to the world. And it does something. It does something. There's something supernatural when you allow that truth to manifest inside of you. There is a radical change. And, but today you think about it this way. Too many people have this understanding of Christ in their head, but they don't really have this true faith in His Word. You know, we can understand that there is a church on the street corner. We can understand that Jesus is this dude who was born in Galilee and who died on a cross. And we can understand that there is a Bible that many people believe in. We can understand that people say He's the Son of God. And we can even confess Him as the Son of God. The demons know that He's the Son of God. Okay? 
But there's something about this belief and confessing and applying it over my life that I give Jesus Christ lordship. I say, God, I know you're a friend of sinners. God, I know you came to save the world, but you are Lord of my life. I I submit to you and I believe it enough that I'm going to walk differently from this moment forth. The truth in my life says I believe that truth that there is a heaven, there is a hell, and now my life is different. I believe the truth that Jesus Christ loved me and gave Himself up for me, so now it's different, right? It changed me. I believe it that much, right? With me this morning, that faith. And so it's not just uh, uh, this simple profession or a confession or a raising of hand, but it's a life change. It's a, I believe, and it changes my character, and it calls me out to from where I was into the promise of God. Abraham was called out. The gathering of the church is a literally to be called out from and set apart. A calling out. Have you been called out today by your faith? Has God's truth spoken into your life and said, Hey, I've done this for you. Here's my truth. Here's who I am. And you say, Yes, God, I believe that. I really, really believe it. And I confess it. It's, it, it confesses it over my actions. I confess it over my attitude. I confess it over my personality. I confess it on Facebook, like a lot of people do. But I also confess it in my personal prayer time. I confess it in my personal relationship with my wife or my kids. I confess it in my secret thoughts. I confess that, God, you're right, I'm wrong. You're God, I'm not. He's the way, I'm not. He's the truth, I'm not. There's no other way to life. There's no fulfillment in this world but in Jesus. That's what we confess, okay? All right, so faith in God, faith in Christ. That's how you gain righteousness. That's how you have an eternal life, faith. Number two, though, likewise, and with that, is dying to the flesh. Paul said this in Galatians 2.20. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith. There's that faith part. In the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. The Bible is very clear. Man, every single one of us in this room, every single person who hears this message has been born into sin. You naturally live below God's standard. And we are naturally self-seeking, self-reliant, arrogant, uh, have nothing good in us. Somebody say amen. That's right. Nothing. Heath Harris is a horrible person. Welcome to the party. I mean, we are. We naturally do not line up with the will of God and there is nothing good in us. And while we live in a world today that is obsessed with the worship of flesh, it's a selfie culture, it's a glorify me men culture, it's a hey, look at my new abs, my new pecs, my new swimsuit body, it's a, it's a hey, look at me uh, and what I can do, I can accomplish what I have done, look how great we are, we're the best, we are the champions of the world. That's not a bad song, I'm just saying, right? Uh, man, it's all about us. We worship flesh on this earth. We are all about who's trending now. And like, that's just what you can look on Facebook, Instagram, all these media. What's trending? Who's trending? Who's the hottest person to follow? What's this person say? Who does, what's that guy's opinion about life or gay marriage or rights or uh, this or that opinion? Who cares? What's God's opinion? What's God say about you? You don't have to. Young lady, you do not have to need the approval or likes of any other man, woman, or child, or person on Facebook. You just need God's approval. It's God's identity and image. Okay, I'm going to get off that soapbox. But it's about worshiping God. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. Let me tell you something. A lot of Israel did not make it to the promise 
because they were self-centered. A lot of people, they were living by faith. They were walking in the desert, following the Holy Spirit. But because they were self-centered, they did not receive the promises of God. You and I too today can miss out. Many Christians missing out on the promises of a fulfilled life in Jesus because we're not crucifying the flesh. We're not dying daily to our selfish desires. It's like what he said in Ezekiel. He wants to take out that stony heart that's naturally inside of you and give you his spirit to live within you. And I love this quote. It says that Christ lives in the heart where the flesh dies. Christ lives in you only where flesh dies. Now, we're saved, yes, but every day I'm saying, God, I want you to be in this place of my heart. God, there's things in my life. There's attitudes, there's thoughts, there's opinions, there's gossips, there's slander. God, there's pride, there's lust, there's selfish ambition. There's these things in me, God, and every day I'm crucifying these things. It's a one-time deal that we do at salvation, but it's also a daily thing that say, God, get this junk out of me. Get it out of me. I don't want it anymore. And I just want you. God, I want your identity. I want you to live within me. Peter says to abstain from fleshly lust, that we don't live in disobedience to the will of God, just like Israel, and we fall short of the glory of God. But we're no longer living for ourselves. I'll tell you this. You cannot crucify what you are feeding. You can't say, God, I really have a problem with this and then keep feeding into that monster inside of you. You can't, you can't just keep giving in to the lusts of this world and say, God, I really need to crucify less. Or God, I really will get rid of this pride in me, but keep building yourself up. That doesn't work that way. We're crucifying, killing that. You know, this world today says you need more self-esteem. You need more image. You need to think about it yourself, that you're good, you're awesome. Be believe in yourself. That None of that is in the Bible. None of it. It says, believe on Him. Look to Him. He's the one that fulfills you. He's the one that speaks identity in you. We don't need better self-image in this country today. We need to get our eyes upon Jesus Christ and realize I am worthless. I am nothing. There's nothing good in me, but by grace I've been saved. That I am a child of the King. Doesn't matter what my body looks like. Doesn't matter what my history is. Doesn't matter where I come from, what I have, what I have not. I am called out by the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Amen? He's got a promise over my life. And all I need is Him. So likewise, we've got faith in Christ. Number two, die to the flesh. Number three is die to the law. I love this one. He's looking at 2.19, right before that. He says, for through the law I died to the law so that I might live to God. What does that mean? The Jews believe this, very simply. They thought that if I could just put a wall around people, if we can just fence everybody in, let's make them go to church, let's make them, here's the do's and the don'ts, and we can just kind of control this fleshly nature inside of us, and if we could obey all these laws, then we'll go to heaven. And, and I'll tell you what, if you could obey every law in the Old Testament, you would find righteousness. But here's the catch, you can't do it. You can't. Uh, Paul, Paul said this, he said, I had to die to this stuff. I had to die to this belief. And he writes it in Romans 8, 7. He says, because the mind of the flesh is hostile towards God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Let me, you ever got into your, your life, uh, maybe you were your young Christian, maybe you're a young Christian now, or maybe you were, and you were like, my gosh, I cannot stop doing blah or this or that, right? 
And so you're thinking, well, if I just get rid of all of this and I stop doing all of that and I start going to church every night of the week, maybe I'll be better. Let me tell you something. That does not work. Okay? Now, those are good things to do. The Bible is clear. We should set ourselves apart, crucify the flesh, get rid of things of this world, right? Get in more into Jesus. But there is no amount of moral rules. There is no amount of good behavior that you can make yourself do that will change that nature on the inside of you, right? You can turn off all the movies you want. You can get rid of all of the... Uh, pornographic material, you can get rid of all that thing, you can not even, uh, you can still be full of lust. You can uh, get away from the gossipers that you used to hang around, and you can get away from all those negative people and still have negative gossiping thoughts. It is something in us that it is ruining us from the inside. And Paul says, I have to die to the belief that it's about how I look, how I dress, what I do, what I don't do, that is leading me to righteousness. He says it's only one thing. It's only Jesus. It's only knowing Him. It's only letting Him be in me. As I crucify these natural desires in me, then He begins to live in me. And so it's impossible for flesh to submit to religion. It's impossible for a church-goingness to make you more holy. It's impossible for praying 37 hours in a 24-hour period to make you more holy. That's what the Pharisees thought. They prayed all the time. They fasted all the time. And they still missed it. They went to church more than anybody. They had the holiest dress of them all. And they didn't watch the rated R movies. They didn't have the social media. They weren't taking selfies. They weren't, they weren't into God. I mean, uh, uh, doing all these worldly things. They weren't having uh, parties and drunkenness and gambling. No, they were pretty holy people. But yet Jesus condemns them more than anybody. Why? Because there's nothing worse than thinking, I can do it. That's the thing. Churchiness says, I'm making me holy. It's my works that lead me to holiness. It's my haircut. It's my dress. It's my movie watching. It's my church attendance. It's my prayer life. It's me, God. And aren't I helping you a good bit? Right? That's what we say. God, but here's what Paul says. He says, you've got to go back to how you began. How did you begin? You were screwed up. You were messed up. You had nothing. And you believed. And His Spirit came in. And so the fourth one is this. He says, you've got to receive the Holy Spirit. It's not about measuring our Christianity by church attendance or tithing or volunteering or whether we don't drink or smoke or curse or gamble or have sex outside of marriage. Those things people love to easily uh, measure. Those are easy things. But Paul is calling us to a maturity. The Holy Spirit is calling us to a maturity that says, God, it's impossible for me to be right on my own. I can't do this. I can't do it. I can't be good enough. You, you hear me? I can't try hard enough. I can't live right enough on my own. I need Jesus Christ. And so he says, number fourth one is to receive the Spirit. When we receive that, that faith in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit comes inside of us. That's the promise that God said to Abraham, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. He said, through your seed, that's Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is going to come into the world and many nations will experience the presence of God through this promise. And that outpouring of the Holy Spirit came down on the day of Pentecost. And because of the faith in Jesus Christ, you and I today become heirs of Abraham, heirs of faith, sons and daughters of the living God 
because we have faith. We say, God, my flesh is nothing. I got to crucify it. God, my religion is nothing. I died a religion. And God, all I need is faith plus the Holy Spirit. Faith plus the Holy Spirit. It's a, it's a promise. Look in Galatians 3.14. He says, Through Christ Jesus, God has blessed the Gentiles with the same blessing He promised to Abraham so that we who are believers might receive the promise of the Holy Spirit through what? Faith. I know that's a new living. Faith in Jesus gives you the promise of the Holy Spirit. It makes you the people of God. When we, when we repent, crucify the flesh, crucify our religion, have simple childlike faith in Jesus, here's what happens. The Bible says this. He says, you are made alive with Christ, that you are born again, that you are renewed by the Holy Spirit. Titus 3, 5. It's not just a save me from the penalty of my sins kind of prayer. Man, Paul thought, he says to the Galatians, he says, hey, didn't you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? He says, didn't God show up powerfully in your life with miracles and signs and wonders? Didn't God just demonstrate He loved you and that He set you apart? And didn't you notice a difference? Didn't you notice a difference when you got saved? How many people could say that? Man, when I got saved, I remember. I noticed a difference. My life became different. God, I felt your presence with me. I knew that I knew that I knew that I was saved. There was an experience, a feeling I never felt before. And I became open that God would just radicalize my life, that I got convicted about things I was never convicted before about. I felt so full that God loved me, that He, he, he had plans for my life, that I was good enough because I had Jesus in me. That's salvation. It's not just a, hey, I raised my hand, I want to be saved from hell. It's a, God, I get rid of me, I get rid of religion. God, all I need is you. And God, the Holy Spirit, you feel Him. You see, when, they, when Israel came to the presence of God on Mount Sinai, it was an undeniable shaking of the ground. They saw the presence of God. They felt the tremble of the earth. They heard His voice. And when you get saved, you should experience something pretty similar to that. Maybe not in the glory in that you know, where you're visible. But when I get to my knees in that prayer life and I'm, I'm walking by God every day, I should say, I, know, I tell you what, church, I know that I'm saved. I feel God. I sense Him. There's nobody's going to convince me any longer. You couldn't take me enough Scripture. You could twist this around all you want and tell me that I was not one of the elect, that I wasn't going to heaven, blah, blah, blah. I know that I know that I know God lives in me. There's an undeniable truth that the presence of God is in me. And I hope today that you have that experience with God. I hope today that you know God loves you. I hope today it's not just a mental knowledge, but it's right here. It says the Spirit identifies in us that we are able to cry out, Abba, Father. He's living here, right here. That's salvation. It's life transforming. It's when you receive His nature and His power to live victoriously. The flesh is in opposition against God. And the only way to crucify the flesh is to allow the Holy Spirit. Man, He becomes this counteractive force in your life. The Holy Spirit comes upon you. He begins to give you other choices, other options. And when that time of testing comes, the Holy Spirit presents Himself. And he says, no, don't go that way. Go this way. He says, no, 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 don't say that. Say this. No, 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 don't think that. Think this. That's when you're saved. You know it. The Holy Spirit is inside of you. He's talking to you. He's convicting you. He's challenging, moving you closer to Him. And every believer, I say this, every believer should expect God to use them 
and spiritual gifts, whether it's healing or tongues or prophecy or miracles, visions and more. Because Acts chapter 2, verse 17 says, In the last days, God says He'll pour out His Spirit on all mankind. Your sons, your daughters will prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men dream dreams. Slaves and servants, both men and women, I will pour out My Spirit, and they will speak the Word of the Lord. They will prophesy. Does that sound like a boring, little old me relationship to you about being in the church? No. It means the very presence of God lives inside of you. Let me tell you, sir or ma'am, don't dare limit the presence of God inside of you. Don't tell Him what you will or will not do. I will not speak in tongues. I will not raise my hands. I will not speak a word to that person on the street. That is the presence of God who is calling you into a deeper relationship. When God speaks, let's go with it. Man, we put levels and limitations on God so much. And when you are saved, you should just be exploding with the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. You shouldn't say, well, I'm not Pentecostal. Oh, I'm just Baptist. Or, oh, I'm not, I'm not Baptist, I'm Methodist. You are a Spirit-filled believer. Let His Spirit go in your life. Let Him have reign, dominion. And whatever He says for you to do, do it. Because it's the Spirit of God. Amen? He says, number five, be walking in the Spirit. So, man, okay, so here we go. Let's backtrack. I got saved. I'm crucifying the flesh every day. I'm dying to religious ways of holiness and thinking I can do it on my own or help God out in any sense of the way. But it's really the Spirit of God that's born again, alive in me, changing me, renewing me, changing my very nature that nobody's got to put rules in my life anymore. I just don't want to do those things anymore. It's the Spirit telling me, not rules or religion. And he says, so how do you know, though, where you should go and what you should do? So, hey, Pastor Heath, should I watch that movie or not? Pastor Heath, should I wear those clothes or not? Pastor Heath, should I say this or that? What should I do? He says, how do you know? It's because you're walking in the Spirit. Remember, Israel comes out of the wilderness. The fire and the cloud lead them every day. Every day it says, stay here, go there. Now watch. Paul says in Galatians five sixteen and verse 25, he says, how do you please God? How do you know if you live the Christian life? How do you live the Christian life where there are no rules? What a, if we told our kids there's no rules, they'd just go crazy, right? Uh, don't, go, don't watch that movie. Don't do this. When I was young, we couldn't go to the roller skating rink. Anybody? Whew, right? I couldn't go. We couldn't go. Carmen concert. Christian concert was off limits. You know, uh, Go in the bowling alley. Don't go there. They smoke. They drink. They cuss. They play pool, right? There's all kinds of rules. We can invent all kinds of rules. So how do you know? He says, if you got rid of all your religion, how do you know if you're supposed to please God? How do you know what's right and wrong? Galatians 5.16, here's the answer. One of my favorite verses in the New Testament right here. But I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. Verse 25, for if you live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. And likewise, Romans 8.14, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. You know what that literally means in the Greek is this. It means be always walking by the Spirit. And it means uh, the led part, led by the Spirit. It means to give yourself up to being led. We, If we believe in Jesus Christ, we have to give up authority, not just when we're saved, but every single day that I get up, I say, God, what do you want to do today? Holy Spirit, should I watch this or that? Holy Spirit, how is my attitude with my spouse or my kids? Holy Spirit, did I gossip just then? Holy Spirit, convict me if I did. Holy Spirit, should I buy that truck? 
Holy Spirit, should I buy that car or that boat? Holy Spirit, when should I go on vacation? I mean, it literally, he's saying, everything you do, you're testing by the Holy... Man, you believed in faith. If you got rid of all the rules, the only thing you have left to rely on... Remember, the New Testament people didn't have a Bible. They just had the presence of God. Every day is saying, Holy Spirit, should I talk to that person? Holy Spirit, should I do that? Should I buy that? Should I see that? Should I wear that? Holy Spirit, should I post this Facebook post? We should probably say that a lot more often in this world today. Should I post this, right? Does that sound bad about him or her? Is that taken the wrong way? Holy Spirit, he will tell you. The presence of God who dwells within you will tell you how to please Christ. And he says, if you are so focused on pleasing God, on walking in the spirit of of, of satisfying his nature, you won't even be bothered about all the things of this world. You won't even consider, you'll be like, that doesn't even please God in the least. I'm looking this way. I'm not even worried about where the line is. How do I please him? How do I not? I kind of want to do this, but I kind of want to do that. God, I kind of want to say that. I want to tell her off, but I really need to know I need to do this. He's saying, God, I'm just focused on running after you. I see your spirit over there. God, I'm running to that place. God, I see your spirit moving me and my family here. We're moving to that place. God, you said quit my job. I'm quitting my job. God, you said take that job. I'll take that job. That's what he says. That's how today you and I are called out by God not to follow our own self-centered will, but to depend on his spirit alone. We live in this war between the flesh and the spirit but all you need is what God gave you at salvation. That is faith and in a relationship with the Spirit of God who is a powerful force. He's a dynamic relationship available for you today. And so my challenge to us is put your faith in the presence of God who lives within you. He says, I live by faith in the Spirit, through the Spirit. Live by faith through the presence of God who lives in your life today. You will live a victorious life if you're listening to the presence of God. And chances are that's when we get in those alone times and trials and testings come and we get self-focused. We begin to think about me. I begin to look at myself in the mirror. And I, I mean, I told the guys the other day, I said, man, anybody will be depressed if we look ourselves in the mirror too long. We will. None of us are perfect. We all could look better, right? But I could think better. I could act better. I could have done better. But I'm saying, God, I'm not focused on me. God, I'm focused on pleasing you. I know I'm nothing. I know I can't get better. God, I know religion's not going to help me, but God, I want to walk and talk and be led by the presence of God. That's the church. That is the church. It is people who are being led by the presence of God. Are you the church? Are you the church? Are you being led? Are you just coming to church for religion? Are you being led every day by a dynamic relationship in the presence of God? Because what it will produce in you is six and seven. Is number six, it says it will produce the fruit of the Holy Spirit in you. You'll know you're doing a good job because you're producing love and joy and peace and patience and kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, things that there's no law or religion for. They'll just naturally come out of you because you are letting Christ produce His character, His will. His nature. That's what the fruit of the Spirit is. It's Christ's character. You want to know what Christ's personality is? It's right there. Galatians 5, 23. That is the character, the will, the fruit of Christ. That is what happens when you let Him, follow, uh, let him lead you and guide you. It just comes out of you because He lives within you. And number seven, what will happen naturally is that you'll become the church. 
you'll be the people of God. And that means you are a people who love somebody else more than yourself. You're willing to sacrifice yourself for the benefit of somebody else. You'll be a person who's bearing one another's burdens and fulfilling the law of Christ, which is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. You'll be a people who don't care where that brother or sister so-and-so came from. I don't care son or man or woman or child, those who are you in this room, what your checkbook looked like before you came to this church, how many hot checks you wrote, how many people you stabbed in the back before you got through these doors. I don't care how many slandering things you lied to your family about or how many bridges you've burned in your life. When you gave your life to Christ, you became one with me. Some of us need to be willing to identify with some of these people and say, God, they're my brother. They're my sister. I'll die for them. I'll help them bear their burden. God, I'll help them carry the load. I'll carry my own load, but God, I'm going to help them carry their load. And he says this in Galatians 6, 14. How do you know if you've really become the people of God? You by faith, you confess Christ, you died to the flesh, you died to the religion, you're walking in the spirit, fruits just coming out of you. And he says, you've become the people of God in Galatians 6, 14. He says, as for me, I never boast about anything in this world except the cross of Jesus Christ. Lord, help us in our selfie culture. I never boast about anything except the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because of that cross, my interest is in this world, have been crucified, and the world interest in me has died. And it doesn't matter whether we've been circumcised or not. It doesn't matter what our religious pedigrees are. It doesn't matter what good things of religion we've done. What counts is this, whether we have been transformed into a new creation. What counts is this whether we have been transformed into a new creation. He says, May God's peace and mercy be upon who live by that principle. They are the new people of God. Have you been transformed into a new creation? You are the new people of God. Worship team, would you come? Every head bow, every eye closed. Nobody moving around.